Episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Slightly Concerned Professor Wagstaff. <laughs> Venomous Vinny. Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as I actually get the intro out in one piece this time. <laughs> so, uh, good to be back with you. We are bringing you another installment of our true crime series. And uh, I, I think I feel like I owe you guys and the audience an apology for how underprepared I was for Tim Burton. And so I'm telling you, I'm coming in today <laughs> to talk about Roger Hampton, and I'm really doing <laughs> a great job for you guys, okay? <laughs> oh, no. <Man. laughs> That's just a joke, folks. It's, we're talking about Robert Hansen today, uh, uh, the most prolific serial killer in Alaska's history. And... Uh, there was a film based on uh, his crimes called Frozen Ground. So, uh, yeah, uh, guys, anything you want to say off the top here? Um, I think maybe why our introduction so awkward and playful is because we're dealing with a hunter named Robert. So just to clarify, we're not going to compare you. Um, no, this is just one that since we started doing the true crime episodes, I wanted to get to just because... I can remember when I first learned about this case being blown away that it wasn't discussed more frequently for um, how movie-like that it was, uh, all, you know, of the grim things aside, um, you know, because I learned about this maybe a couple of years before this movie came out, and I was just absolutely shocked that this wasn't talked about all the time, so looking forward to covering it. You know, what's funny is I was pulling books off of my shelf. I didn't grab my serial killer encyclopedia. I should probably check that one. But I was pulling all these books about, you know, Twisted History and Evil 100 and different stuff. And he's not in them. Like, yeah. And, and it's like, God, it's just like, no one talked about him. And it's like, guys, he killed like, he's, he's, he confessed. We, he probably killed more, but he killed like 17 women. Yeah. He confessed, he confessed to 17. Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, I'd, I think I had listened to a podcast about him before, uh, just because someone had brought it up. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he was a hunter, and he's actually a record-holding hunter. You should look into him. And so, uh, yeah, uh, Todd or Vinny, any exposure to Robert Hansen? Uh, well, one, this is a fear I have every time I come here. And I'm telling you, well, look at the flowers. Um, the bunnies. I have you look at the bunnies. I, I honestly, um, this movie came out 2013. I think I was working at Hastings when it came out. I did not even know until we um, were set to do the podcast that this movie was even based on a true story or about a serial killer. And it actually looked kind of generic, so I kind of avoided the film, to be honest. I'm not familiar with the case. Um and I wonder if it's not talked about as much because um, similar to some of the other serial killers, um, the victims aren't really thought about as much because most of them are prostitutes or 
um, which is sad because, um, you know, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, what a way to roll out from Christmas movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Christmas is over, bitch. <laughs> Uh, I had had more personal experience with Chris Hansen. Uh, <laughs> not true. Just kidding. Uh, I had never heard of this guy before. I'd never heard of the movie before. This is all new to me, but I, what I did find interesting is I was talking to my parents yesterday. And as I was describing this case to them, my mom knew about it because my mom loves what she calls murder porn, which is all of those documentaries about <laughs> murderers and shit. That's my mom's jam. So she was familiar with the case already, but I was not. Yeah. I think what originally uh, put it on my radar was um, John Douglas and at the FBI and profiling, which we'll get into that a little bit later, Man, but yeah, that was what initially really attracted me to, to the case. And, found it interesting just because I, with the profiling thing, it was wild, but then I kept learning more about what had occurred here and how unique it was. And I, you know, just crazy that it's not more discussed, but it will be tonight. You'll set the record straight I, tonight. I will say I, I knew so little about both that as I'm watching the movie, uh, the first time you see John Cusack is, is, has the girl captive. I was like, oh, wait, what? Because <laughs> I thought he was just going to be another cop or something. I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, Professor, you are typically our tour guide of the macabre uh, when we talk true crime. And so if you would take us away. Sure. So Robert Hansen, as we've already kind of briefly discussed, was an American serial killer that killed 17 women at least and more than likely killed more than that around Anchorage, Alaska. He was known back then and still is to many as the butcher baker um, and Hansen abducted, raped, and sometimes hunted and murdered 17 women, uh, ranging between the years of 1971 and 83, although primarily that's on the back end of that range. Most of this took place kind of in the disco era, late 70s, early 80s. Um, this serial killer also illustrates another example of how expendable prostitutes have been in the eyes of law enforcement. Um, there have been numerous famous cases um, where that was also what transpired. Um, one that comes to mind is the Green River Killer, uh, which wasn't too far off from this. And I think maybe they tried to lump together at one point. Um, but yeah, so Hanson was born in Iowa. Uh, ultimately, he followed in his father's footsteps as a baker. His father was very domineering. Uh, at one point, they did move to California, but did return back to Iowa, I think, fairly quickly, where he spent his formative years there. Um, he was a loner. Hanson became obsessed with hunting, specifically doing it as quietly as possible with knives and a crossbow and, uh, eventually would go on to have pretty high levels of success as a hunter with, uh, hunting records in Alaska. Um, if I could something else, go ahead real quick. He, so, uh, in the hunting world, as many of you know, I'm big into the hunting world. Um, there are two, primary conservation groups that the way that they were tracking how well they were doing conservation wise was to establish like a record keeping thing. And so you could find out how well you were preserving a species in an area. If you could get a guy to bring in his biggest trophy. Right. And so a guy wants to come in and say, Oh yeah, I, I, I think I got the largest moose or the largest Ram. And, and otherwise they wouldn't 
check in with it, right? And so uh, Boone and Crockett is one of them, and that's primarily firearm. And then Pope and Young is the other group. And so Robert Hansen was a record holder of several species in the Pope and Young scoring system. Yes, which I think once everything came out about him, didn't they erase all of that? They stripped his titles away. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he's also a textbook example of an incel. Um, he grew up unhappy and a loner, um, was very skinny, shy, had a stutter and suffered from severe acne and scarring afterwards, um, was subsequently ignored by girls made fun of on the playground. Um, and these were people that he wanted the attention of, but could not get. And eventually resentment grew in him towards women because of this. And ultimately this would lead more than likely to cruel revenge later in life. Um, his obsession with revenge began early in, uh, 1960 when he was 21 years old, he burned down a school bus garage, uh, seeking revenge. I think it was on a principal that had either suspended or expelled him something along those lines. Um, but that ultimately represented his unhappiness with the whole experience ranging from being reprimanded and not fitting into utter rejection um he would serve time for this and while doing so it was noted there that he was suffering from manic depression also some kind of loose diagnosis diagnoses of um bipolar disorder and i think even mild schizophrenia but the definitions of these things were a little bit different 60 years ago uh but it was also noted there that he was obsessed with revenge Um, and he, upon release, uh, would get into more trouble for petty theft. So this is a pattern we see frequently, uh, with these characters kind of inching their way up the levels of crime, uh, ranging from petty theft to minor assault to eventually why we talk about them on these things. Um, can I, can I pause you right there real quick? Sure. Pause me whenever you need. (laughs) (laughs) Just, Just a few things I want to say about his life up to this point. And if anybody else wants to jump in, if you read anything else about him, <clears throat> anything else about him, but I wanted to, to definitely dig into that term incel that the professor uh, brought up there. For those who aren't familiar, uh, it's, it stands for involuntarily celibate. And uh, it's kind of a big deal. Now um, there's incel movements of these guys who feel like, uh, the reason they aren't getting laid is society's fault, not their own. And so uh, lots of jokes about incels, but also, I mean, lots of really bad stuff coming out of like incel message boards on like uh, Reddit and 4chan and all those really dark places of the internet. Um, so he fits that description. Like he felt like he was missed, like women didn't like him because there was a societal problem, not because there was a Robert Hansen problem. And that's, that's just dangerous road to go down period. So uh, if you don't know about that, look some of that up. Um, another thing too, talking about his father being very domineering. He was, uh, I believe left-handed and his father until he became right-handed, uh, which is pretty intense. Um, I do think that's standard for Iowa though. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I believe so. I believe so. And you, you mentioned his speech impediment, didn't you? Uh, just that he suffered from yeah, a stutter. He, he had a stutter, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's all That's all I've got up to this point. But, yeah, just a couple of things I wanted to open up a little bit wider there. Sure. Uh, 
I don't have any corrections to make of anything or anything to point out for you. So continue. <laughs> <laughs> this was in addition. This was not correcting yes. anything that the professor, <laughs> who is a legal doctor, has told us up to this point. <laughs> no, that that's perfect. I'm just trying to hit bullet points so I don't overdo it and have you Absolutely. guys just stare at me for 40 minutes. <laughs> no, and I appreciate I appreciate you. Um, so after this troubled start, obviously, uh, ranging from an unhappy childhood into early uh, legal run-ins and trouble, he moves in 1967 to Anchorage, Alaska, and seemingly has a fresh start and a good one at that. Um, he is liked by neighbors, uh, fitting in somewhat, as mentioned earlier, he's getting into hunting and, um, setting records for that and becoming a successful baker in the area. I mean, he's fitting right in, but you know, like Ted Bundy, when he decided he wasn't going to do bad things anymore in Florida or other examples, people, they are who they are. And in 1971, he was arrested twice. Uh, once for the abduction and attempted rape of a woman, and secondly for the raping of a prostitute. Um, and it is believed that his murdering began the following year. Uh, his modus operandi was to pick up a prostitute holder at gunpoint and get her to his cabin, where he would then rape her, then fly her to a secluded area and kill her, uh, sometimes hunting them. He would typically keep a souvenir of victims, each as jewelry, um, such as jewelry, sorry, and seemingly enjoy controlling the secret uh, by giving some of these items to family members and acquaintances, which again isn't something unique to him. That's certainly occurred with other killers. It's just uh, the obsession with controlling something, including people and information. Um, anybody got anything they want to talk about in terms of, of how he went about doing this? I find it very bizarre and unique that this guy would transport these women to a secluded area, which I don't think I pointed out in here. You had to either fly yeah. or, or boat there. I, I this crazy. <clears throat> what I, another thing that when he would get them into his car, you know, he'd offer them money a lot of times to take, just take photos. And when they would get in, they said that he would already have one end of the handcuffs attached to the door and that he would slap the other cuff on their arm once they got in, and that he had said that it got to where it was just almost a reflex with the amount of time it took for him to snap that on and pull his gun at the same time, that he had he had become kind of proud with the speed that he could do that with. It's interesting, too, in that um, a lot of, like, there's a lot of speculation about how he did it. Cause I mean, we did, we can't know exactly what he did out in those remote areas based on what he said or whatever. And so what the media really hyped up was this idea that he hunted these women and like, right. We know that he took them up there and killed them. And maybe, you know, maybe he did let one or two run or something like that, but there's like not widespread evidence that like he was doing like surviving the game with iced tea. You know what I mean? Like, At all. Yeah, and so that's really a lot of media hype. Um, but he did straight up take these women out in the woods and shoot them, you know, with his... Uh, Would you call it fake news? <laughs> there's a little bit of fake news going on by the Lane Street <laughs> Media, Robert Hansen. And so, uh, yeah, he'd shoot him with his Ruger Mini-14 uh, in uh, two twenty three caliber. And um, the fact that you know that. 
you know, Mini 14 is kind of a poor man's AR-15. It's what the, uh, the it's big with the incel nerds. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that, that's, it's interesting. So I just want the audience to know that a little bit, that if you're going to read up on him, um, the, the, the dramatic hunting these women sort of thing, as far as like hunting them in the woods, he definitely predator, you know, was a predator on the streets about hunting them in that way in, in respects. But as far as like hunting them like wild game in the woods, it's blown out of proportion. I'm, I'm curious if, um, um, God, I'm trying to think of the author and keep thinking of the character. Uh, the Alex Cross books, um, but Kiss the Girls. Um, I'm wondering if that is kind of loosely based off of this killer, because uh, that is how Ashley Judd's character get away. Did they? Did they really ever explain Christina Ritchie how she escaped, or did did they just find her? Who are we talking about? Ritchie. I'm sorry. Wrong person. I'm like Christina Vanessa Rich- Hutchins. Christina Rich- I was like, she was living with Eileen Wernos, but <laughs> <laughs> this is a monster. <laughs> Sorry, Vanessa Hudgens. Uh, she plays the prostitute that gets away. Uh, do they? Do they explain? I, I guess I was a little lost because again, I wasn't familiar with the case. That when they were showing, uh, she's telling her story. They're like showing the the newest girl that he's captured. Yeah. Cause you're right. It was like, the film was like a high stress. Open, I, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure professor will get into that. When I was going to say, I kind of thought place. maybe she escaped while he was hunting her, but then you got to realize that how would she have done that? Yeah. They were in town. Yeah, she, which I'll <laughs> jump into that uh, here in a second. She escaped at the airfield uh, yeah. before they'd taken off. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say too, is to kind of talk about the character of Anchorage at the time. Um, the, any, any of the documentary stuff I read or watched talked about that is that like Anchorage with it kind of being like a, it's kind of a boom town for oil and stuff like that. And what do you get when you get a major resource where you got to hire a bunch of roughnecks to come in and take care of it? Sex workers. Right. And so lots of strip joints, lots of, uh, I was going to say Denny's. No, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Fast food and sex workers. <laughs> they said, yes. they said back then Anchorage was like the wild west. It was. Yeah. It was a frontier, a frontier, uh, town. And, it, <laughs> and what's funny is, is that these methods are still in place. Like they would rotate these prostitutes around and, 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 and a lot of them were doing, you know, uh, prostitution on the side, but you know, they would just take them from town to town just to kind of freshen up the lineup, but also to based on what time of year the work was going down. And I mean, they do that with everything, you know, it's everything from sex work to, to even wait staff. You know what I mean? Like, the people that work in Vail, Colorado in the winter are also wait staff in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale in the spring. You know what I'm saying? They rotate these people around to wherever the work is. And so it also becomes safer for the girls doing that work to avoid regulars and guys that, that start to get creepy, like the guy we're discussing. Right. <laughs> and so it's a double edged sword in that it does prevent them from getting like the hanger on creeps, but it also makes them forgettable when they disappear, right? They're like, well, of course they disappeared. They're probably in Seattle working there this season or something like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff to delve into. Um, yeah. Just to, to think about how that worked out. But yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed out too, with the hunting aspect that that's very limited in these occurrences. Um, I don't, I, I don't think it's actually believed that, the most dangerous game routine took place very often there. Um, 
especially when you weigh in, as Vinny was describing, a guy who's honed his craft to the point where he's taking pride in how quickly he can secure a girl in the car. I can't imagine the appeal of then dumping them off in the wilderness and potentially putting yourself at risk for getting caught because regardless of it being isolated, you're still giving them a small window of chance to, to evade you. And you don't for that doesn't fit who this guy is. And so I think that when that happened, it was because of something going wrong and him having that area to correct it. And also you get into a situation where you don't have people out there near it. It's easy to dispose of, of this body and not worry about um, crime scenes and evidence. And you and get so, well, and, and it's more controlled the because these were yeah. hunting areas that he knew very well. So the girls were at a complete disadvantage. Yeah. Which, and so I think the really dramatic and unique part about this is just the transportation. Um, you imagine what it was like for these women who had at this point been chained up in this crazy asshole's basement and been tortured and raped for days is now being flown to who knows where by this guy. I mean, and I think that, um, you know, and we'll get into the movie obviously and it's pros and cons, but I, I was glad that they captured that. I thought pretty well, they even got some cameras right in front of the girl in the plane uh, that demonstrates kind of what those moments must've been like. Um, I also starting, go ahead. I found it interesting that because I thought, how in the hell this guy is married and has kids as he got these women in his basement. But what I found out later was, is that he would send his family away for the summer so that he then would have the whole place to himself to do this shit with. Like this was one methodical motherfucker. Like this, this doesn't seem to me like a guy who's, fighting the urges, fighting the urges, fighting the urges. Oh, I can't take it anymore. I, I, the, the beast is coming out. This seems like a guy who's pretty calm, cool, and collected, and rather methodical, even planning his kills to what season is hunting season for him for these women. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just never enough. The guy's baking good bakery goods. He's winning hunting awards. He couldn't just leave it alone. Um. So uh, a turning point for this case is on June 6, 1983. Uh, Cindy Paulson, who uh, Toddy had mentioned briefly uh, being portrayed in the movie, um, she was working out on the streets and she was initially picked up for. And um, from what I've gathered, especially in 1983, this was not a normal price range uh, to give oral sex in exchange for $200. Um, and so most of the girls when talking about this would say I'd never get in a car of a guy offering me that because that was insanely high for something like that at that point in time. Uh, but she was I don't desperate want to say for money. I know market value, but it seemed pretty high to me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but immediately when she got in the car was held at gunpoint and went through the horrible chain of events that he did with people. Um, he held her captive at his house uh, she was shackled around the neck to a post where she was tortured and raped for days. Um, she said at one point he finished and left her there so he could go out and take a nap. Um, that's how comfortable he was with this whole process. Um, and then upon waking her up, he then loaded her up in his car, took her to Merrill Field Airport to inevitably fly her to the area where he always took his victims uh, to meet their end. 
And while he was loading the cockpit, she noticed that he wasn't paying attention and uh, she escaped. And while he didn't, he didn't have her secured in the car. That's what blows my mind. You have, you go to the trouble, you have an airplane to fly your victims out to the wilderness in Alaska. And you don't think to make sure that the victim can't get away while you're getting your plane ready. That's crazy to me with there as, as detailed as he was on everything else. That blows my mind. It's what he gets for napping. Um, <laughs> and so she flees barefoot um, until she ev- eventually reaches, I think it was, uh, they said, 6th Avenue or somewhere near Half-dressed as well. Yeah, gets a trucker's attention who gets her up to a hotel. Um, and, you know, authorities come and talk to her, but she's not taken serious. Um, he's not really followed up on. I think they talked to him. But it went nowhere. Um, again, the cops, the cops had to unlock her handcuffs. She was still handcuffed when they got there. Right. Yeah. Well, and all, they, they all loved his bakery. Like he was, yeah. he was Bob Hanson, man. He was the he was Bob the baker. Like they loved hanging out at his bakery, and so it was. It reminded me a lot about um, Gacy. You know, like Gacy was cool with the cops. They all liked him. Um, you know, Pogo the clown, and so like this guy was just. Oh, yeah, no, Bob's harmless. Yeah, we talked to him, but he was doing X with his buddies, and he actually got buddies to lie for him uh, for an alibi. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's also indicative of what they thought of those women. Yeah. Right. They were viewed as a nuisance. I mean, it, it's like, okay, we get it. You're fine now. Leave us alone. Yeah, there was an instance, uh, like his criminal record, where he had stolen a chainsaw, and he got in pretty serious trouble for that. And it's just like this idea of like, oh, look, they care more about chainsaws in Anchorage, Alaska than they do about these women. And Todd made a good point earlier. We were talking uh, off mic about it, about, um, it, you know, it kind of harkens to Dahmer, too. Like, you know, because how they treated Dahmer's victims. Like they, you know, like, oh, these were these were just, you know, gay teens. Like no one cared that they were missing. And it's the same in this case with the prostitutes. Just like yeah. back in the days of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And um, I cannot, I don't have the information readily handy in front of me here, but I I know the last podcast on the left covered it. Maybe, Abner, if you've listened to that, you remember where they, because they they start discovering bodies out here in his area. (laughs) And at one point, they have the remains of a girl and are faced with the prospect of a, is it a black bear in front of them? Grizzly, isn't it? Was it a grizzly or a black bear? I don't remember now. Well, a, yeah, a dangerous it was a bear. bear. It yeah. was a bear. And, and rather than shoot the bear, they they let the evidence be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Because that bear is tourism and, and uh, hunting dollars, you know? Yeah. They were like, ah, oh, this is going to be bad for the economy to shoot the bear. Now, see, the one that I had watched said that they did kill the bear, the documentary that I watched. So I guess that makes you guys liars. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, that's the thing you get though when you get cases like this. Because I watched a couple documentaries as well as the movie. There's always slight differences in these cases when you're presented, and they're supposedly all from the same case files. But you get different details, however minute, in each thing that you watch. I've noticed as we do these kind of episodes. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, whenever I've had wires crossed like that, I get online to try and, like, clarify 
and it's there's still cross there too. Yeah, no help. <laughs> I mean, I would I would say probably like at all these cases, there's especially when they become like national news, everybody comes out now and talks about it, and and you probably have every different perspective of you know how they remember it, and so for every uh, little minute weird detail. They either kill the bear or don't. Right, because when it came out and it happened, they, they they very likely could have said that they didn't kill the bear because that would have been the thing for them to do. But then as time went on and, and they were uh, ostracized for not killing the bear, of course they're going to be heroes in new documentaries. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, we shot that bear. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> Your sworn affidavit says, no, you did not. <laughs> so. But yeah, so things have really picked up at this point because we have a survivor. We have somebody who knows the routine, knows the face and got away. And we also mix that in with bodies being discovered in the area. Um, I somehow forgot to write down the name of the, uh, the state guy that the eventually took over and helped. It's like frothy. Is it floth or, yeah, I can't remember. You keep talking. I'll look it up real quick. Um, but yeah, so after we've got numerous bodies discovered, local authorities reach out for help. And they get help at the state level as well as from uh, FBI profiling. And I do want to mention the profiling real quick because, as I mentioned That's earlier. That's my favorite part of the whole story. Me too. This is what initially taught me of this case. And it still blows my mind because... I think the only thing that's up for debate is who specifically nailed it of the two main guys that, you know, like Mindhunter is based on. Uh, John Douglas claims it, but then the other one does too. John Douglas has a pretty storied history of claiming a lot of things that he's accomplished, uh, but I don't know on that. But anyways, so this is before we have our killer and, and Hanson's brought in. Um, the Profiling set detailed as uh, they thought the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his murders, such as victims' jewelry. He also suggested that the assailant might stutter using this profile. Or have a list, yeah. Yeah, using Stutter or have a list. And scarring. Um, and they used this profile that basically helped them whittle it down to Hanson among other things that fit alongside it. Then you bring him back Cindy Paulson eventually who recognized him because obviously he failed to finish the job with her. And that's how they nailed him. Um, they also had said in that profile that he would be somebody who probably owned their own business or was self-employed because it wouldn't tip anybody off. If he was, you know, he would be able to come and go and blah, 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 blah said that, uh, what was there was one other he thing that also, blew my mind. He it said he would also use disguises, which he did. They didn't show that in the movie, but he would have like fake mustaches and weird huh. stuff like that. And they said what there was one other thing that blew my mind about it. it well, they also said that he would be played by a brat pack actor. <laughs> <was> pretty accurate. <laughs> uh, while you're digging that up, Vinny, uh, Glenn Flothy was the name. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the combination of the profiling match and Paulson's testimony secured them a search warrant, which initially did not go well. Uh, they ripped this house 
all apart. And then they finally found upon uh, going back again because they knew that was basically their only shot and they knew it was him. Uh, they found a little area um, all the way up in the front of the attic crawl space, I think under a floorboard um, that had items of jewelry, guns that he'd used, basically yeah. all of the things that incriminated him for it. Um, and I think that they do a pretty good job of kind of showing the, the, the drama of that in the movie. It, that also reminds me of Gacy's case where um, just this kind of, collective but melancholic celebration as they do it as a group and figure out their answers in the house um but yeah he ended up i think being charged for like a i mean an insane amount of years over 460 um oh almost forgot to mention the other thing they found there which led to the number of bodies and locations was um a map that he had with x's on it and those X's took them to remains. And he said, no, those are just my hunting spots. And technically they were. <laughs> the thing that they said on the profiling that got me was they had said that he would, that he, the suspect would ha- probably have a history of arson. Mm. And he absolutely did. I, and, and interestingly, profilers since then, and in cases where they've caught killers, have even been able to predict what color of car the killer would be driving. Like it's just pretty wild profiling FBI profiling like this to me is one of the most interesting things ever in my mind. I, it blows my mind how accurately they are able to pin this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so they went around with this map and unlike Henry Lee Lucas, they actually found uh, (laughs) validity to the locations that they went around to. And so that is what has led us uh, to widely kind of believe on the, the number of 17, although it may be more. Uh, He actually took them to some of these places, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he accompany police? Yeah. Yep. Um, Ultimately he spent the rest of his life in prison. I think uh, was a barber during his time in there um and died in 2014 at the age of 75 of natural causes and that is the very under discussed case of robert hansen yeah man uh <laughs> yeah just like it's crazy and like some of the things another thing you got away with um he committed insurance fraud. He had told uh, the insurance company that his taxidermied heads, so in that basement where the women were chained up, were uh, you know his trophies, and so he had taxidermied bodies and heads and skulls and stuff like that. And so he had lied to the insurance company and said they had been stolen, so that he could get like I don't know fourteen or sixteen grand, and he took that money and put it towards the airplane at that time. And the funny thing too about the airplane is that. Um, he would always lie about like, so like his license numbers that were on the plane were kind of obscured and they couldn't see him from like the air tower. And so that's why it was hard to match up some of the police detective work to say like, Oh, well he would have flown out at this time to dispose of this body. And they're like, we have no record of him flying to do that. Well, they would say, Hey, we can't see your numbers. Please report who you are, the flight tower. And he would just give them the numbers of other planes that he memorized. And they're like, Oh, okay, cool. All right. Thanks. You know, like he, as you said, Benny, so calculated um, 
it's just crazy. Or like, yeah, I picture so him cool. like in his little plane with a big bushy fake mustache, stuttering out a different number. X V five. And like, all right, enjoy. You know, there's like one time he there was some story, something weird about his pilot's license, and they were like, "Did we see your pilot's license?" And he was like. Left it at home, y'all. And they were like, no worries, Bob. Enjoy your flight. <laughs> Thanks for the donuts. <laughs> right. So, yeah, Robert Hansen. What a tale. Let me see if I got anything else here that I want. That's like, hey, uh, Bob, I think you got a little bit of semen and blood on your polo there. Anyways, <laughs> have a good day. Thanks for the long, John. Oh, it's, uh, it's just glaze. <laughs> oh dear uh so yeah robert hansen well done professor thank you for the the overview and and so was the was the true uh so what was it the girl that got away and then like another victim is that the last couple uh, i think there was more more than one victim after in the real case not the way they portray it in the movie I'm, I'm, just, um, I'm just wondering because, you know, like it was brought up, like either he was just overtly cocky uh, of not securing her in the airplane or, or maybe got to the point of where he might have wanted to get called. But if he had multiple victims and. Well, and honestly, he may I don't know his exact protocol on that. He may not have always secured these girls the best getting in the plane. I mean, after you've beaten and, you know, tortured and raped girls for a couple of days, they may have been. So, you know, just wilted and terrified that he never had to worry about it until he encountered Miss Paulson, who wasn't having that shit and got out. Which, uh, you know, because uh, the, the girl in the movie after her, of course, it's like you, you kind of want her to scream out, although probably still wouldn't have uh, went well. But where, uh, you know, she kind of does what you want her to do, then the whole movie she keeps running. I'm like, God damn it. If you don't fucking stay with the cops. Like every time yeah. she, she's gone, I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> Do we want to get into the to the film then? There was a movie. <laughs> Never seen it. Todd, give us the dates and the details, right. my friend. The Frozen Ground, 2013, written and directed by Scott Walker, and we're getting in the cage with Nicolas Cage. I actually thought this was Con Air too for a moment. <laughs> Because uh, we got uh, John Cusack also playing. Uh, so uh, Nicholas Cage was Sergeant Jack Halcombe, which was the Flothy character. So Nick Cage was playing the Flothy character. They just renamed him for the film. Okay. Uh, John Cusack uh, was playing the oldest Hanson brother. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens, uh, Cindy Paulson. Which, on a side note, um, I guess if I don't watch this sooner than Bad Boys Three, because she's kind of uh, like more known from like High School Musical. It was Bad Boy Stereo. I was like, damn, she can kind of act uh, and not be the good girl. Uh, She's good in Spring Breakers. So, uh, well, I didn't watch that one. Uh, good for her. You're lost. Um, Look at all my shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, also starring uh, Dean Norris, uh, Gia, uh, Mac, Mac, uh, you know, Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> the girl that looks like Billie Eilish. Um, Kevin Dunn, Rada Mitchell. Jody Lynn O'Keefe, who I did not recognize her, uh, Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson, and uh, and Kurt Fuller, who I was kind of hoping when uh, he was doing his police work, he would go, 
I just want you to look at look at that photo again. And it would be him in his underwear like scary movie. But <laughs> um also again, I'm not familiar with this movie, so as it was kind of rolling, um I let it keep playing. I was kind of shocked too that um That's how most people watch movies. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun fact, most people turn it off before the first credit rolls. Thank you. Um <laughs> But uh, apparently uh, 50 Cent was also a producer of this movie, which I thought was a little strange. And I also won his hair. <laughs> uh, that's the pretty much lowdown of the movie. And um, honestly, like I said, I, I, I was familiar with the title. Um, and I just skipped it. This is the time period where John Cusack and Nick Cage had movies every other week. Uh, had no idea it was a true story. No idea it was a serial killer. And actually, if I'm being honest... This is actually a really good movie. So, kind of sad I skipped it for so long. What about 50 Cent wearing a Cat Williams wig? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think that liberty was afforded him by being a producer. <laughs> or if I would have thought that joke out a little further, I said 50 Cent cosplaying as Cat Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, funny and true. Um, this was my first viewing as well and again i avoided it for all the same reasons that hot toddy had listed and uh even in listening to a podcast that professor and i both enjoy last podcast on the left you know they kind of they really ran it down so i was not looking forward to watching it and i was pleasantly surprised it's not a bad movie i mean it's not oh wow those guys ran down a movie that was actually enjoyable weird (laughs) (laughs) fuck those guys anyway (laughs) (laughs) whoo Hot dog, we're going to start a podcast rivalry. Uh, um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It was pretty well done. Um, you know, not 100% to the case, like nothing ever is. You know what I mean? Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's something I probably might even watch again. Benny? Uh, full disclosure, number one, I've given last podcast and left shit because they shit on the legend of Boggy Creek and I did not appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> hey, Travis Trabtree. Uh, anyway, when are we first, time I, first time that I've seen this movie, uh, this movie was not even on my radar. And I can guarantee you if I was in a video store and saw Nick Cage and John Cusack's photos on the cover, that's not getting me to rent this movie. And uh, so cover was pure shit, too. So, uh, once again, a uh, nice thing about being on the podcast makes me have to sit down sometimes and watch things I normally wouldn't, and, and in this case, enjoy as a result. So, yeah, I, I, and again, and then, so it was also fresh because I, I was not familiar with the case either, and I kind of made a point to not look into the case before I watched the movie, so I'm not trying to dissect the movie the entire time. And then I can go into the case after I've watched it to kind of see the differences and the liberties that were taken. But I thought it was an entertaining movie. And, and especially when you add on based on true events, anytime you watch a movie, I think it adds a certain element to it as well. Yeah, this was probably my third viewing. Um, I'll be honest. I thought I was mentally prepared to take my lumps on this. I figured there was a good chance there'd be elements I defended and that you guys wouldn't like it. Um, because this has a really rough reputation with people, and I, I don't understand why. I don't understand I, that. I, now that you say because it, Nick Cage is the is that he's the actor form of Nickelback, where all those fuckers that had Nickelback in their car that love to hate on him now hate <laughs> on Nicolas Cage. 
and there's you know that's probably true i mean they everything he makes is now lumped into like the alimony category category of of roles that he takes but he delivers an understated performance that's just fine in this that's a load of shit um but that's also the other reason i really wanted to do this was because i want more people to watch this movie i initially picked this up at family video r.i.p which just announced they're all closing um i was going through there and they had one of those deals where it was like eight movies for ten dollars or something ridiculous and i was just looking for something yeah (laughs) I was just looking to, I was just looking to fill the deal. And so, at, you know, at one point I pick up the case, I'm like, what the hell is this? And so I look at it, I'm like, holy shit, I know this case. I want to watch this. And so I just got it dirt cheap and watched it on a whim and really enjoyed it. Um, and the, the main reason that I really wanted to make sure we cover it on this podcast is I love what they do at the ending, which we can get into later. Um, but yeah, it that that's basically my history with the movie. I also think it's a nice time of year to watch it. You start getting into the doldrums of winter. This is a very cold movie. Um, I agree. And the last thing I'll say before we really jump into it, why I think it's a great winter movie, true crime aside or true story aside, any of that, is the way it's shot is it builds up with the weather. And so it's not something that you focus on when you watch it. But when you know it, you'll notice next time if you if you revisit it is it starts off with no snow. And by the end, there's just feet of snow everywhere. Something so. that I enjoyed about this movie was that it's not it's not a whodunit. Like almost like Silence of the Lambs. You're in on who the killer is from the beginning. And so it's the the tension of going along with these investigators wanting them so bad to connect the dots you know because you're already in the know so you're just rooting and rooting for them to finally connect it and i like that aspect of it it's it's not a mystery movie at all which lends itself when you put a high profile star like cusack in that role because if you go the other vehicle on this everybody's like why in the hell did we pay john cusack to be in this i know he's the killer but in this we're not doing that and i i think it it definitely aids that there, there was, okay. I feel like the movie, uh, and, and maybe it was just like they didn't want to go, you know, uh, I feel like if you're too obvious on everything, then then it kind of takes you out from it. But, like, um, I know that the, the sister to one of the victims brings the, the bracelet, which is, is used in the film again. But, like, uh, the, the one girl um, that has the dog that's the, the Billie Eilish-looking girl, um, she takes her mom's necklace and then it shows him remove the necklace from her. And I just kind of thought the necklace was going to be a big thing. And I, I totally was going to look up stuff after the movie, but I ate some candy and I, I passed out. So, damn you. Don his sugar diabetes. Oh, man. Just, you know, when you're not drinking anymore, um, I want my M&M's. Buy the pound bag. <laughs> I don't have to eat the whole thing, but well, <laughs> they just—they just so damn delicious. Right. It's winter. Right. <laughs> Some people go hunt girls, and I like to get a little bag of M and M. There's frozen ground outside. <laughs> this is like uh, my unhealthy comparison to extreme drugs for any purchase I make. Like, well, I got this hundred and fifty dollar Godzilla box set, but it's not heroin. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, I so can I can I I want to say this too that uh sometimes you guys pick out movies and I'm like these cocksuckers. <laughs> so I I will say I was getting pissed. I went through I went backwards this time and went through all my shit and could not find this movie and I'll be damned if it was not on Netflix. Yeah, so Netflix. So, <laughs> Todd does not have three sealed copies on the shelf. I did not. <laughs> this this movie to be fair, this this movie had and again, I you know there's some really great films that have poor box art. This movie has shitty box art. Like everything about it looks bad. Yep. And it's in an era where both, and I like John Cusack really well too. Both were in a line of, of shitty movies. Um, you know, and that's just their A titles. Yeah. Um, I'll just say the few notes that I have on the film, because uh, as we've done in the past, we haven't gone at length into the films. Um, we either say yay or nay, or we point out what's really good or what's really bad. Um, so I really like that frantic open with uh, that character, uh, you know, her running and handcuffed and in the hotel and stuff like that. I thought that was really good. Um, they did a great job of setting the tone from the beginning about how, um, you know, these sex workers aren't taken seriously and that, that, in, that guy was interrogating her was such a jerk. And they played that very well. And, you know, then it goes right into like them being at his bakery and there were cops hanging out in there and stuff like that. Like that set the tone very good from the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. Um, I like that they, they, they included the FBI profile to a T. So you get that accuracy of the film. They didn't overstate like the hunting aspect of it. You've only got one scene where he kind of lets a girl go and shoots at her. Um, and then, uh, yeah, one of the last things is when they finally book him and they take his mug shot, uh, they actually try. Th- this was the only time they actually tried to make John Cusack look like Robert Hansen because Robert Hansen makes uh, John Cusack look like Clark Gable, um, <laughs> which you're not going to hear many people <laughs> about John Cusack. But, uh, yeah, when they took that mug shot, and they did that. That was cool how they made it look like Hanson's mugshot. I liked when he went full Sam Jackson <laughs> and was just like, and I'd kill that bitch again. <laughs> yes, she died. And I hope they go to hell. <laughs> Which uh, was. If they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. Probably all that was kind of missing from this movie because that's the third person that was putting out the same string of movies. The Sam Jackson. Yeah. Still putting out movies every three months, even in a pandemic. <laughs> I don't care if I get the COVID. I got checks to pay. <laughs> Whew. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, Vanessa Hudgens does a great job in this. Nick Cage does a great Nick Cage in this. Um, and, and I'm a Nick Cage fan. Like, don't take that negatively. Like, when Nick Cage is hitting on Nick Cage, he's doing a really good job. But when so you're depends the on the director. That's all it is. That is the key solution to Nick Cage. If he has a director that is leading him and in utilizing his strengths, he feasts on it. Yep. Look, he, look, guys, let's just put it out there. He was never better than went and raised in Arizona. Okay. <laughs> he, peaked, he peaked for me there. I like uh, Wild at Heart. H.I. McDonough. Peanut, uh, let's go dancing. <laughs> Listen, guys, Con Air is the greatest action film of the 90s. I was, was going to say, my, my high, Con Air, The Rock, and Honeymoon in Vegas. Those are my three. Which is better than Leo. Um That one's rough. You want to cry yourself to sleep? <laughs> All right, sorry, Professor. Bring us back home to this film. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I was just going to give 
give my general thoughts on the movie. Um, something I think is very important to point out when discussing the worth of this film and comparing it to what really happened as we do at true crime films. Um, the, the very common complaint I see with this movie and hear from people is that there's too much emphasis put on Cindy Paulson and the detective and their relationship. That's fine. I, if that bothers people and they wanted more of the detective and, and criminal aspect, I understand that's what they want out of a movie, but that's not what happened. And so this literally navigates through the truth that in the most compelling way you can to tell this story without making a bunch of bullshit up, which is what the usual complaint from people is. So you are witnessing in real time when you watch this movie, what people ask for, and then they bitch about that. (laughs) So the best part is, and there is no better time to start this movie than when they do, with the drama of Paulson escaping the plane. They had no leads because they didn't care. They're what these people would go missing, but they weren't fixtures of the community. So this wasn't on people's radar. So it, it literally got on their radar around the same time she escaped with the bodies being discovered. And then he didn't last that long after it. He wasn't a master criminal. He just worked in anonymity because he killed people that lived that way. And yeah. so, that's something I get frustrated when people rip on this movie for, because I think it's pretty unfair. I feel like this navigates the way it should. And if you watch any documentary or read anything about this, Glenn Flothy cared so much about Cindy Paulson. I mean, like it's like he was ready to send her to college after he helped her. You know what I'm saying? Like they had a tight relationship and he cared very deeply about her. And yeah, so that comes through in the film, like even like even just as kind of some throwaway scenes where he like brings her home to give her a place to stay and his wife is not having it. Like, yeah, I know those are kind of like throwaway scenes if you don't know the whole case, but like their relationship was key to how this whole thing went down. Yeah. And it gave her the confidence um, to stand up to this. And that's what helped put him away. That like that's a key aspect of this case. Uh, but with that said, the other thing I wanted to, and I'm going to steal this in case anybody was waiting until later, uh, because I, I just I love it so much that when the movie is done, they don't just roll the credits. They spend time showing you pictures of the real life yes. victims um, when they disappeared and if their body was recovered. Um, I think it's the way every true crime movie should end. I take it that the one is the photo you see. I take it that that is a forensic uh, restructure of somebody yes. they still never identified because it looks very odd. Yeah. All jokes aside, you got these pictures of real girls who disappeared and then what looks like a Muppet. And it's yeah, just it looks because, like a mannequin. It's really weird. Yeah, that would be it's, a Klutna Annie. Yeah. Uh, and that was based <laughs> off of remains. And what's awful, what's awful to me when I see things like that is that. Whoever that person was, there's still no closure for them. And there's still no closure for any relatives they may have alive. You're still this, this unknown. They don't even know who you are. Like, and it drives me crazy. They found your body, but they still don't know who you are. You still don't have closure. Your family has closure. That drives me nuts. It's very sad. It reminds me, who did we cover that? The, one of their, Oh, that's uh Henry Lee Lucas. Like orange, orange shorts or orange shoes? Orange socks. Orange socks, yeah. Rest her soul. Um, yeah, it's rough. But Vinny, to, to add some levity to the situation, uh, Carrie had said the same. Because, you know, my wife, 
she watches these and she feels very uh, a very she she's an empath she feels everything and so like anytime they show like the actual victim she's very sympathetic and she's oh look how beautiful she was look how beautiful you know this or that and then that one pops up and she's like what the fuck was wrong with her <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh that's that's a forensic recreation that's not a real picture she's like oh thank god oh and you would you would think now they could redo that and probably come up with a facsimile that's a little more accurate well, yeah. then they, when then they show a picture of Vanessa Hudgens and like, damn, she looks just like her. And then it switches to the actual person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't really, uh, they've shown all the real ones and then they show the actress and you're like, whoa. <laughs> oh, wait. I, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, you used the actress, you idiot. And then they <laughs> faded it. <laughs> uh, we, I actually commented on this, on the same thing earlier that, uh, you know that we always we always talk about the the killer and we remember their name and it's embedded and then no one ever remembers most of the victims' names unless they're like Sharon Tate or somebody of, of yeah that that I find that to be bother and I think I've mentioned that before and, and I always find that to be bothersome I'm guilty of it too um but I'm you know it's it's sad like and and again many of them barely had family that even cared about them so. Yeah, it's like if you're going to take the time to make a movie exploiting a lot of this stuff, then you can take 30 seconds or a minute like this director did. I wish every true crime movie did this. It's it's Absolutely. not that much to ask for, it, and it's what that, deserves. It actually was dedicated to the victims. So. And, we, and when we did the Jack the Ripper episode, I think we even took the time to make sure that we said every victim's name. You know what I mean? It just I feel like that's a a courtesy, a kindness you can pay to the people who lost their lives in this way. If, if you're going to, if the killer is going to live in infamy forever, we should at least let people know the names of the people who had to suffer. Right. In their infamy. And typically if the, if the case is smaller, we definitely always do. But even on, you know, some of them, like I remember on Ted Bundy, I made a point to discuss, um, one particular victim that just bothered me because I wanted to make make sure I, you know, said her name. And I, I just feel like this is so much more sincere than just dedicating the movie to him. Like a lot of, I them agree. Do. at I the agree. end, it'll say, this is dedicated to all the victims and that's nice. And that's the way it should be. But I just thought it was really awesome that they took the time to get some pictures up of these women, because otherwise most people are never going to, to learn their names or, or put a face with it. It's pretty yep. cool. It's absolutely true. Well, I, for one, would recommend this film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would definitely recommend it. I do want to add real quick to the comment that John Cusack was much better looking. um, To give you something to compare to, if you've seen American Graffiti, Terry, the guy with glasses. Terry (laughs) the Toad looks much more. Like Robert Hansen. You are absolutely That is hilarious. You are absolutely <laughs> right. He definitely looks like Terry the Toad. <laughs> but yeah, I would recommend this to, to anybody. It's just a decent movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It um and that's the thing. Like listeners should understand at this point that like anytime you go into a true crime or a biopic, the directors and writers are gonna take liberties, you know. But uh, this film this film is not a pile of fake news. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not a pile of bullshit. Like they stuck, I, I'd say what, at least 80% to, to what really happened. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not 50. It's not salacious at all. 
No, no. And, and again, it, this theme keeps popping up over and over again when we talk about true crime is so many of these movies, the best movies made about these, these stories are the ones that are told from the investigative point of view, not the, the, mm -hmm. the fucking shitty mockbusters that would get put on the shelf at Blockbuster that were just like, uh, you know, glorifying the crimes and the killer and stuff like and that. I th and I think that this movie does that, uh, this as well, is that I think another victim, so to speak, that you don't take into consideration a lot with this is the investigators and their families. Yes. Because it, these cases take a toll on people and affect their it's personal lives. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that people often don't look at the investigators as, and their families as victims, and I, I feel like they are. Well, and that's why somebody like Frank Salerno is a rock star. I know I've mentioned him on here before. He caught the Night Stalker and the Hillside Stranglers. I mean, like the same dude. Yeah, that's that's a name we should know just as much as those killers. Um, but yeah, this this movie really touches on, I think, what these movies should, which is they should be cold and upsetting and messy. And because because that's what it was. And I think that they do a good job of it. So glad we could cover this one. And let's not forget the victims uh, who are the the podcasters who do deep dives <laughs> on these. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I do get a little depressed with some of these because I, I try and read as much as possible so that I can be efficient with covering it quickly, but it, it being informed, it does weigh on me sometimes. Like, <laughs> I, You know, I said that as a joke, but I dead ass, after we did the dive on Bundy and on Manson, I did not want to think about them or hear their names for a long time afterwards. Yeah. I think probably the one that bothered me the most was Dahmer. Yeah. Yeah. But Dom, yeah, and we discussed when we did Dahmer. Dahmer is one of the few that I have sympathy for in the beginning. Of course, once he takes his first life, that goes out the window. Yeah. But you almost feel bad for him. I don't get that feeling from this motherfucker. No. Robert Hansen no. at all. No. No, no sympathy for him because that's another thing that uh, the other podcast I listened to pointed out. They were like, uh, you know what? Like, like, all right, his dad was domineering and he beat the shit out of him before until he came right handed. But there are lots of people who had shittier upbringings that turned. Look, whose dad didn't beat the shit out of him from our generation and before? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah. Fuck Robert Hansen. <laughs> you know? I mean, hell, Robert's dad almost killed him for <laughs> sleepwalking. Like. <laughs> 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 doggies all right well let's wrap it up here another episode of the midwest monsters podcast and true crime i'm one of your hosts grizzly adner and i've been joined by professor wagstaff Met oh venomous Vinny. hot toddy oh stay scary